There's a place some of us go each fall. A place where the ring of a bell filters through the covers and hurried shouts of bird up bring everybody to attention. A place where the playful puppies around our house are transformed here to driven bird finders. And where there is confidence in the slow pace of the silver-muzzled old veterans. Where our friends tell the same old stories each year, and none of us seem to mind. Where great shots are forgotten, and epic misses never fade. Where an old gun will have a story to tell, if only it could speak to us. Where all the good seats are claimed by the dogs. If you have a camp, you know these things all too well. If you don't, well, you're always welcome here. So pull up a chair, tell us about your favorite gunner dog, and we'll admire the birds together and talk the night away by the fire. Welcome to Bird Camp. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Bird Camp podcast. I am your host, Joe Schwenke. I'm sitting here today with Andrea Bogard, one of our family friends now, and I'll call you that, from uh, Traverse City area, and a lot in similar, a lot in common with my family, and that is a whole family that hunts, and uh, a quirky family that hunts. That's probably a lot more accurate, but welcome to the show, Andrea. (laughs) Thank you, Joe. I really appreciate you having me. (laughs) So we've, we've each had about half a cocktail so we're we're gonna sit here pretty well now but uh we'll begin this one like we we did yesterday's recording which of course will not be yesterday's published podcast either way schedules are schedules but dear bird camp pod this is from uh the names are made up to protect all parties involved this is from a, a gal named mabel On a recent day at the preserve, I was joined by a male friend that enjoys his target shooting. I was excited to have someone along with me, as I usually hunt by myself and with the club guide. Everything was going well for the first bird or two, but as we continued across the field, I noticed a palpable urgency in my friend's shooting. By the time my gun was to my shoulder, the bird was already beginning to fall. The end of the morning's walk showed a disproportionate harvest between us and a thoroughly disappointed outcome for me. How can I make sure this doesn't happen again while still inviting someone out to join me? I'm sorry, Mabel. <laughs> I, str- I struggle with this. Okay, how so? I have thousands and thousands of thousands of round shot at the skeet course, low gun, very smooth and fluid movement and gun mount. And when I go with anyone to a preserve, I nearly have to just break my gun open, smile and go, I'll get a few of my own, but I got to stop because 80% of the time I can get two barrels off before someone has their gun to their shoulder. So <laughs> it, it takes a conscious effort to don't do that (laughs) (laughs) yes you know i I have shot both birds and uh clays with you actually i don't think you and i have ever bird hunted together we've shot a lot of clays 
and I've been on the fields with you photographing mm-hmm. when you've been running dogs, but I don't think I've ever bird hunted with you. No, no, nope. I've always been running <laughs> a dog, and Colton's done most of the shooting. He has. Yes. Yes, this, indeed. This. Oh well, we'll we'll focus here on Miss Mabel. What's a what do we have? Uh, first, from from your perspective, you're you're a shotgunner. You've you've done a good fair share of shooting. I have. So yes. How do you handle that? As a as a shotgunner. As you. As me. Oh, okay. Um, you know, I think that one of the most critical things that you can come up with, whether you're hunting or shooting, is figure out who you're going with. Read your audience, if you will. And set a realistic expectation. As, as you said, if you're going to go preserve hunting with someone, you just kind of resign yourself to breaking open your gun, and you have a certain outcome in your mind. You know that based on your abilities, and you know that based on your skill. Now, Mabel, she probably should have gotten a little bit better read on her hunting partner for the day. So... Maybe not invited him. That could have been option one. <laughs> right. Um, I, I but... hate to say that, though, because at the same time, right, where we are trying to bring more people in and, you know, okay, this this guy has a target background. You know, the, the target shooting is right there. It's a known thing. And, mm-hmm. and you, at the same time, I know a lot of people don't think that far in advance. Like, could this adversely affect me? Um, and this one is definitely a yes, right? You're, you're bringing a shooter <laughs> along, but at the same right. time though, that's kind of the person we want to recruit into the sport. That's people that are already familiar with guns, already like shooting. They want to, and this has happened in, in some of the other stuff I do is that's, they really take well to birds. You know, they, they, they do. love yes. the dogs. They end up liking the fact that this is, it's still a target in their mind, but I have no idea where it's going to go, when it lifts up, all the other safety aspects of where I can and can't shoot. It, it right. appeals to so many parts of a target guy. Yeah. And then he doesn't know any better and looks like he just decides to start crushing birds at his pace. <laughs> and I'm, I'm happy he's excited. I really sorry it worked out badly. <laughs> well, Joe, I guess what I can take away from that is you've deer hunted with your kids. You've duck hunted with your kids. You understand that there is a realistic expectation. When you take your young children deer hunting, you could get 10 minutes in the blind. You have to pack a convenience store worth of snacks. You still may only get 10 minutes in the blind. But the important thing is you're bringing in a new hunter. Now, we've got two adults. The expectation was not adequately set. Communication is absolutely critical, whether it's your hunting partner, your spouse, your significant other, whoever it is. Communicate the expectation, what you want out of the experience, and if there was no communication up front, uncommunicated expectations are just premeditated resentments. So Ooh, that's she good. has some resentment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and this is one of those things too. You could, it just came to me as I'm thinking about it here. You can go every other point, right? There's mm-hmm. 
which everyone likes a picture anyway. So, oh, it's your turn. Right. I grab my camera, break open my gun, try to get a slow-mo video of you getting a rooster or three banging away and missing, and then that goes to the office for blackmail. <laughs> you know, there's there's so many Both other possible outcomes. Oh, absolutely, right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so the communication thing there for sure is is – you know, either you have to go into it with a expectation of something is maybe not going to go right because it's all an unknown scenario, or mm-hmm. start knocking down those unknowns with communication. Correct. And with him being the new hunter and the existing target shooter, and her being what it sounds like the more experienced hunter, mm-hmm. it is on her to a large degree to communicate the etiquette and the best practices while in the field and, and what is expected. It's like golf. There, there are certain etiquette practices that you need to follow. Hunting is exactly the same. Sporting clays. You know, you, you cannot load until you get in the stand. You wear eye and ear protection. You, you go through the gun safety rules, which are e- etiquette as much as safety. Yeah. So hunting's no different. Yep. Yeah, and that's, I think that was the same. It's, it's totally a different question between the podcast we recorded before, but it comes down to the same thing. One, speak up, be an adult, say the, say the tough thing and get it out of the way. And, uh, and in the end, everyone's going to enjoy everything better. Right. And that's, that's kind of the purpose of all of this, but, uh, moving then into the kind of the first thing, this is one of those, this has been brought to my attention a number of times by a number of individuals that, I don't have a woman's perspective when it comes to hunting and shooting. Mm-hmm. So now that you're here, <laughs> what's a woman's approach to hunting and shooting and misconceptions or maybe accurate perceptions of, of, of going forward? What, what kind of blocks might be in the way, but more importantly, what, what expectations are there? Um, what are they expecting to get out of it as well? But that's, I just gave you a really, really wide angled view of everything there. Didn't I? (laughs) That's all right. You know, I, I'm like a setter. I can run big. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Might be Um, the only time anyone's ever said anything about you being big, but (laughs) that's true. Well, I, I cannot I cannot speak universally for all women, but I can give you what my experience and you stop laughing. I can still hear that. <laughs> you know, there's there's a reason that my license plate is fun sized. Yes. So that's yes. <laughs> I figured that would come up. <laughs> yes. I love that license plate. Um I I can't speak for all women everywhere, just as one man can't speak for all men everywhere. Um, I can give you some some basic information that I've gathered from working with women as a uh, shotgun instructor um, for 21 years now. Um, And then also as a hunter, I've only been hunting five years. So this is a fairly new um, endeavor for me. so the biggest thing that I have found when dealing with women who are coming into the shotgun sports is they, they're very uncertain. They are excited. They want to learn. They have the drive. They have the motivation. 
Um, they have that desire to do something totally out of their comfort zone and out of their norm. Um, but they, they're very uncertain. The upshot to that is they are incredibly and magnificently teachable. They are open. Mm -hmm. They are absolute putty in your hands in the absolute most complimentary way. If you tell them, do this, do this, do this, they do it perfectly. They, they do it to the best of their knowledge and understanding in that moment. And then you have them breaking birds immediately. They don't come to you with, for the most part, they don't come to you with this, um, this construct of, well, I know how to do this because my dad taught me how to do it. My brother taught me how to do it. Or my grandpa taught me. Um, and, and yes, I deliberately use the masculine nomenclature there because that is the traditional norm. Um, but when, when women are learning to shoot, they are so open and that yields such incredible results very quickly because they don't come in with their ego. They check it at the door and that is, it's so fun to work with. And I'm not saying that men universally come in with an ego, yeah, we do. but many times, <laughs> many times they come in with these preconceptions of whether they know how to do it or not. They come in with this preconception. Well, I'm a man. I should know how to do it. So I am going to project this and nine times out of 10, they're doing it wrong. And so you have to reprogram the bad habits. So that from a shooting standpoint, I see you laughing over there. Carefully. You're going to blow whiskey bubbles out your nose. Ooh, I wouldn't waste whiskey. <laughs> um, now from a hunting standpoint, it, it's very similar. You get women involved in the hunting world and they, they are open. They want to make sure that they're doing it right. Most importantly, they seem to want to make sure that they're doing it safely. They are hyper-conscious about safety and making sure that they are safe, their guides are safe. If they are bird hunting, they want to make sure the dogs are safe. Um, and when they're, they're hunting other things, you know, deer or, or larger game or African game, things like that, um, Shot placement is is very important to them from the sense that they want to make sure that they make a very humane kill. And that's something that I've noticed um, hunting with other women is they they will sacrifice a, a doable shot for them, their equipment, their skill level, the conditions. If they don't feel 110% confident that they can make that shot and kill the animal quickly, they will stand down. They will walk away from that animal and that shot opportunity and potentially not tag out. And I've never, I have to qualify this. I have never seen a man do that. I've never been in the field with a man and seen him walk away from a shot opportunity that was doable, but borderline. Yeah. There's, um, we do. And speaking from the man's perspective and experience with, with the people around me, our think of it almost like a threshold, you know, at a certain point, the shot isn't safe or it isn't not safe. Really is a bad word. The risk reward benefit of taking the shot saying, if I come up, you know, if, if the shot becomes more and more difficult at a certain point, there's a certain threshold where you, you decide to not shoot. Right. A man's confidence and threshold is significantly higher because we mm -hmm. feel we can do it. Right. Now, there's a lot of people out there with tracking dogs because you can't. You you think you can, and and your 
your threshold might actually, instead of be, yes, I'm 100% at this level, the guy with the dog's like, yeah, bro, you're more like a 75 at that level. You may want to move down a little. (laughs) Why? Well, because Spot here had to go 300 yards on that gut shot that you thought was a perfect boiler room kill. Well, I I mean, I did it. I had a great shot. Well, the... The autopsy said that you didn't. The holes don't line up for in <laughs> well, the boiler and things... room. And, and guys are like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a great shot. No, 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 nah, bro, it wasn't. <laughs> and we've all made bad shots, even under conditions that were well within our skill set, well within our confidence, well within the oh, conditions. Yeah. And things just didn't line up the way that they needed to. And, and that that happens. And I've seen it happen to a lot of people, it's happened to me. I'm sure yep. it's happened to you. But no matter how diligent you are, things still happen. It's the difference between a fluke and a trend. Exactly. That yes. That is very accurate. Yep. Yes. The second it yes. happens to you twice, it's no longer a fluke. If it's twice in two years, it's a trend. You need to, you need to go back and maybe rethink what you're doing. It mm-hmm. might be move a stand. It might be change a shooting lane. It might be how you approach a dog on point. Whatever the case is, you need to change something. You know, right? Think it through. Improve, yes. improve you, or improve your situation. Um, yes. But then again, I would be kind of a snob if I said that everyone had to improve, wouldn't I? <laughs> you know, yeah. I I like to think that you are you are a perfectionist in progress. Like you you are very dedicated to progress, and I really appreciate that about you. So I, yeah, I, there's, there's always a mistake. I learned from my mistakes. That's why I am the way I am is I've been the screw up enough times going, I was embarrassed a lot. I don't <laughs> like that. And no, not a good feeling. <laughs> no, no. And then there are some people when I look over at them, I'm like, either they really don't mind being embarrassed a lot or they're not embarrassed. And at that point, I'm like, if you're not embarrassed, I have something wrong with you. And I'm right. <laughs> if you're not embarrassed, you lack something in your ethic. And I can say that with some validity right there. If you're embarrassed because you messed up, you're showing that you have an ethic. You're showing that you have some remorse for a mistake. And at that point, it's up to you to improve. Five mistakes later, I have to wonder if you have the ability to improve. But I don't have to question right. your ethic anymore. You're still trying. You're 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 still in that spot where, man, I messed up and I need to do better. Whether or not you can is, is beside the point. It's the person who doesn't understand the mess up part that I just can't stomach and call me what you will. That's, that's part of the problem to me. Yes. That's a big problem. It might be the old fashioned talking too, but I see that person as a screw up in, you know, in a way of, of their really of their morals in a way, if you want to call it that might be a bad term. Um, the person improving and trying to improve, I, there's zero reason to fault them. We all started as bad. (laughs) We all have a baseline, don't we? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. You know, but that's (laughs) okay. Now I'm going to, I'm going to put my soapbox over in the corner next to the gun cabinet. I'm, I'm done. (laughs) You're off your soapbox now. Goodness. I I told you we were going to get a controversy yet in this podcast. I figured it was from you. I don't you, think that was it. No, that no. <laughs> I I don't know. You, you better keep working on it. 
I, I'm not controversial, Joe. You know that. No, you're you're way more professional than me. <laughs> well, thank you. I your, think all your hot takes happen when there's no recording devices available. <laughs> that that may be intentional. <laughs> and that's what professional means, right there. Right. Yes. You know, you and I have gotten into some very heated dialogues about different hunting methods, and I I appreciate that, and I yeah, love that. I've, um, I'm not boring, but that's those, for sure. No, no, and but I I love the uh, I, I love the honest, authentic dialogue and discussion. So uh, I I appreciate that, and I applaud it. So cheers mm -hmm. to you, sir. Yeah. Cheers to you. Meanwhile, speaking of cheers, I made my own Luxardo cherries a couple of weeks ago for Old Fashions. Ooh, really? I'll have to send you the recipe. It's fantastic. Yeah. I'm going to. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to need to go down to the store again. <laughs> All you have to do is buy regular cherries from the grocery store. And then you add Luxardo liquor, uh, sugar, cinnamon sticks. Uh, nutmeg and some water and you simmer them down and then I canned a whole bunch of them. Ooh. So next time we're down, I'll bring you a can. Yeah, yeah. Next time you're down, I'll head down to the store and get another Traverse City bottle here. <laughs> there although, you go. Well, that's that's almost like your home brew from up by you guys. But uh, <laughs> Right. Well, there... I'm drinking Basil Hayden. <laughs> <sighs> that's, a fan, that's a favorite right there of mine. But, Love uh, Basil Hayden. I don't know. We've covered some of the misconceptions and the perceptions and even some of the expectations. Actually, we haven't really done expectations. So Why expectations. Not? If <laughs> since since I am not a lady, we're gonna go over this part again. Is there a difference in and maybe a uh, between men's and women's expectations when they take to the field, whether it's fishing, big game hunting, bird hunting. I feel there is, but I, can you explain it better than me? Uh, you know, I don't know if there is or not. Um, I, I, I believe that it's not something that can be broken down by gender. Um, I believe it's something that can be broken down by goal. Hmm. Um, there are... There are a lot of men that I know and have hunted with who they take to the field for the experience. They take to the field for the moments. Um, they're not looking for a score. Um, so in reference to big game, if you're mm -hmm. in Africa, if you're out west, they're not necessarily looking for a score. They're looking for an experience. Um, certain uh, contingencies are looking to leave a legacy of sorts. So they could be bringing um, children, sons, daughters, uh, wives, et cetera. They, they could be bringing those people into the field to share the experiences. Uh, many of the women that I have hunted with, they, they are looking for a couple of things. They're looking for an experience. Um, they're looking for a sense of proficiency and self-sufficiency. That's a big one I hear from the women that I hunt with. Uh, when I'm either writing about them or uh, photographing or just in the field with them, um, they are they are looking for a sense of um, of self sufficiency that they have not gotten anywhere else. They they want to go out and they want to know that they can do it and they want to do something they've, that they've never done before. 
And that, I believe, inherently separates them from the majority of men that I hunt with because a lot of the men that I've hunted with, they have already hunted. They are experienced. They've been doing it since they were children or young adults. That said, I had an opportunity a few years ago to do a lot of work for what was QDMA and now NDA, National Deer Association, and work extensively with their Field to Fork program. And so the concept behind that was to take adults who were non-hunters, not necessarily anti-hunters, but non-hunters, and help them, quote, take ownership of their protein source. So appeal to the foodie aspect um, Mm -hmm. and being able to source their own meat. And so I got to spend quite a bit of time in in multiple states uh, in the field with these hunters, both men and women, uh, mostly men. uh, And these men had never hunted before. They didn't, they never experienced it. We're talking like um, 30 to 50 age range. Um, Many of them had never shot, um, whether a crossbow or a gun. Um, And so everything was new. And so the goals were very different. I mean, you take those gentlemen out in the field and they have a whole different filter that they're looking at this experience through. And so I I can't categorically say that a a man's expectations uh, will differ from a woman's because everyone's situation is so unique. You can make some generalities, but hunting is such a diverse cosmopolitan, uh, we'll call it... uh, industry or world sphere for lack of a better word now that uh there are so many facets we we can't categorize we can't put them in a box because it's such a melting pot of personalities social stratas demographics what it it's a mix oh i bet we can focus group and diverge all those down into little focus things that we can then market to exactly perfect (laughs) There's there's well, no such thing as something um, that the marketing degree can't di- dissect into something that he can preach to exactly perfect every time. I know better. Well, on on that note, have you followed um, Ranger, the the glassware company on Instagram? No. R E Ranger. Okay. Their new social media marketing is fascinating. Really. So they went. Yes, they went from an incredibly heavy emphasis on the, the target shooter, you know, trying to, um, trying to compete with, uh, I'm absolutely blanking on starts with a P. Um, it's a very, yes. Um, Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. So trying to compete with them, um, not necessarily from a price standpoint, but from a market standpoint of, of the target shooter, the competitive target shooter. Well, Ranger has gone off on this bunny trail that I absolutely love. And they have, uh, they have flannel, they have like wax uh, canvas vests, they've got cigars, they've got families out in the field having lunch. Like, this is a whole new construct. It is awesome. Sounds like a podcast it is absolutely sponsor awesome. waiting to happen. It does. I, I'm yeah. shocked you haven't checked them out because no. it, it is totally... It's totally divergent from what it has been. I I knew that the price of a pair of Rangers, I wasn't going to be buying <laughs> anytime soon. <laughs> um, that's that's just not my financial world anymore by a long shot. Now, when the boys are another seven, eight years and they're out of the house, I might end up in a pair of them. But 
Okay, I, I'll have to go follow them now because they're yes, kind of like I, I still get the Kevin's magazine here because I'm I'm drinking out of some glassware that, that my wife bought for, I think it was our anniversary. Okay. So, so I got four silver-rimmed bird dog glasses for for mixed drinks, and uh, it came from the Kevin's. Um, fine, oh, I love fine Kevin's catalog. I, uh, yes. I... It's hard to look through the Kevin's catalog because it's <laughs> it's just a gigantic book of things I can't have. And uh, support me on Patreon. And no, then no, I'm I'm not gonna spend Patreon money on Kevin's that goes into conservation or you know, I I would like to at some point start buying birds for kids at the youth days with it. I'm gonna do something important. I'll buy my own glassware. But uh, actually, no, I'll wait till my anniversary and my wife will use my money to buy glassware. There just, we go. Just like on our anniversary, I'll use our money to buy her something. And uh, it'll, it'll work out. But uh, it works. I, well, I do actually look through, the, out. I do look through the catalog anyway. But uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, so Ranger. Check out Ranger. Yes. Yes. And I bought a pair of Rangers uh, like two years ago. Uh, because I needed, uh, I, I wear contacts. I've wore, I've had corrected vision since I was eight years old. And I said, you know what? I want to try some prescription shooting glasses. And so I got a pair of Rangers and I am so grateful because I have an optometrist up here in Traverse city who is a bird hunter and understands shooting. And so sidebar, when he was fitting me for my contacts and doing my prescription for my Ranger glasses, he did the, the exam in the office, and then he took me out back of the office, and it's in a um, like a, a mall where there's a Home Depot and a Walmart and a bunch of other stores. And so we had things that I could read several hundred yards away, which I'm a long-range rifle shooter as well. And so if I can get just that little step up in correction, it will help me that much more. Mm-hmm. So huge, huge shout out to Dr. Mark Ostoff. And I know a lot of your listeners, I know him and go to him, at least up in this area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he got me hooked up with a set of Rangers and I could not, could not be happier. And Absolutely you, could not be happier. And you got the flex plan to play for him too. They weren't that bad. No? Really? No, they were a few hundred dollars. So I, I, I was. I thought they were more for shooting glasses, but maybe, okay. No, they were um, under 400. So, and my prescription hasn't changed. So, uh, and the color is perfect. It's spot on. I wear them bird hunting. I wear them shooting clays. I've only had one weather day that the color was a little bit off and it was a super bright bluebird winter day and everything was white and it was super bright sun. And it was just a little bright, but they're amazing. Highly recommend. <laughs> all right so, so check them out you'd appreciate them so we really bunny trailed off of the expectations there didn't we anyway you said you liked bunny trails I absolutely do <laughs> no that's fine um and the the expectations i think and this is people preaching at me mainly she's over there somewhere that uh, <laughs> I, I do listen I may not look like I listen, but I do. Um, I th- I think there's maybe more, and this is, of course, speaking in generalities, because I think there's a huge overlap between men and women hunters 
as a whole. Mm-hmm. And I know that part of it is skewed because I think men get get more experience, I think, faster. Mainly right. because I think we have more opportunity as well, which I've noticed here in the household. But also, mm-hmm. we value things a little different. I think that the kill does push us a little bit more in that direction as men. And women, there's, there's a social aspect that, as much as I like camp and social aspects, I'm not anywhere near as social aspected, I think, as some of the ladies that she's been talking about when they go out and, and have their fun without us. But uh, <laughs> it, it's good for her. And it's one of those things I had to learn to do is like, yes, I'm, well, no, I, t- I took the boys and did something fun anyway. So it's not like I sacrificed anything. But, uh, <laughs> you know, under, there's there's some marriage advice for you. Kick your lady out of the house every now and then to go do something fun with the other girls. <laughs> If it's going to Haymarsh and shooting birds, even better. Um, exactly. Yeah, because I, I still get to cook the pheasant, so I still get pheasant piccata out of the deal. <laughs> oh, I made pheasant pot pie last night. It was amazing. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Yep. So good. I'll text you a picture. It was awesome. Uh, then I'm going to be hungry. <laughs> you know, <laughs> circling back to the expectations, you brought up yeah. a really interesting point. Um, I had a situation this year where for the first time in several years, I didn't have a a camp to go to Um, due to a change in marital situation. The camp that I had gone to for that camaraderie wasn't available to me anymore. And so that was a shift because I had, I had a bear hunt uh, at a bear tag for Baldwin, which I, I hunted hard. I baited by myself. I did the whole hunt solo. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was one of the greatest experiences that I could have ever had because it brought a whole new perspective to hunting. I've always had, I've always had a support group. I've always had, you know, somebody there, but at, at the end of every sit, I came home, I poured myself a glass of wine, I heated up something and I went to bed. There wasn't like a camp to come home to. There wasn't, uh, there weren't stories to share that there wasn't that aspect of it. And so it brought to the forefront really big questions for me that I'm so grateful I got to answer. And the the questions were, okay, if everything else disappeared, if you, if you couldn't write about this, if you had no punch tag, if there was no social media, if there was no deer camp, if there was no bear camp, do you still love this? Do you still want to do this? And I, love it more because it was such an intimate personal experience it it was me it was my expectations it was my desires it was my fears um all of that was completely internalized without the the external influences and i had a a walkout story that i published i think one or two nights after it actually happened on the last night of my first segment of bear season, I actually encountered my target bear on my way out of the woods. And that was such a visceral experience having hunted it, some other dangerous critters in other parts of the world. I always had somebody there. It wasn't just Andrea, you know, Andrea against the bear or Andrea against the elephant or whatever. There was always people there, but it was just me and it was just the bear. And that night, it was just me, and I was soaked, and I was cold, and I just came off of an 11-hour sit. And I went home, and I just internalized that whole experience, and I was able to experience it so much more fully because I was alone. 
And I loved that aspect of it because it, it took me from, oh, I hunt to I'm a hunter. And that was a totally different paradigm shift for me. So I was really grateful for that. Does that yeah. make sense? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. There's, there's always some trepidation in there when you just, when you end up on your own on something and it's mm-hmm. a long time ago, I, I had a, a chance to actually solo hunt for a turkey where there was no backup caller. There was no second guy with a gun. It was just me in a spot I had scouted and I lucked into a nice bird. And then I was sitting there thinking about it. Like I've done this a long time with, with people Mm-hmm. That first totally solo going out and doing it on your own from start to finish has has a little extra oomph when it when it, it works does. out. Yeah, there's there's no one else to say I helped you because it's just you. You helped you, and that's a totally different feeling. Um, and then later on, when you pair up with someone else and you go hunting together, and it's two of you that know that I've done this before without any help. Then, mm-hmm. then the game needs to watch out because there's a different kind of confidence level that comes in there too. But uh, yes, yeah, yeah. That that solo hunt, doing everything on your own, that self reliance. There's, it is like you said, visceral. It's it's a very primal yes. sort of instinctive feeling, and uh, and I was as you're talking about it, I I knew some of the pictures from some of those posts. You weren't technically alone, according to John Wayne. no i was not i I was well guarded (laughs) according to john wayne if you have a pistol and a rifle you are never alone and uh (laughs) yep (laughs) so that that is that is true and i i was very grateful when i encountered that bear uh on my walk out of the woods and and he was he was eight feet maybe 10 feet uh from me in the dark and I saw his eyes and we, we just stared and I knew it was him. I've been watching him on trail cameras for a month and a half month. <laughs> so it, it was, that was probably one of the most just interesting moments and interesting walkouts because my truck was parked almost a mile from there. And so, and it had poured that night. So I am up and down these hills that are slimy. They're full of mud and leaves. And I can't tell you how many times I almost went down and I did, I didn't care. I just had to keep moving. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was quite an experience and it, I'm so grateful that I had it. And at, at the end of it, I, I had one shot opportunity on one of the smaller boars uh, that I was watching, but it wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted the hunt to be. Um, I was after one specific bear and, uh, he, he was such a worthy adversary, and he was the one who was waiting for me. He knew I was there. He watched and waited for me, and I have cell cams out there, and I knew he would show up 15 minutes after I left. He'd wait for my truck to leave. There he goes. So it, he was a worthy adversary, and I, I, I honor him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I suppose after about the third day, you get in your truck, you're about back to where you're staying, you go to heat up your dinner, and ding, your phone dings, and you're like, oh, he's having dinner too. Uh. Yes. Well, <laughs> and I, I carted bait out, so I was, I was running three baits for a good chunk of the season, and 
my longest one was three quarters of a mile walk into the swamp. And so I was carrying about 65 pounds of bait for each one and five gallon buckets of peanut butter. It, they are so heavy. And then you've got granola and caramel and Rice Krispie Treats and all this stuff. And I tell you what, I was in the best shape of my life come the end of October. Like, I would, (laughs) it it was total beast mode. It was, it was impressive. (laughs) If if peanut butter weighs anything like water, it's eight pounds a gallon. Yes. Yeah. So it was, I, I weighed, I weighed one of my buckets. Oh, and so that, the whole adapt and overcome concept I found this thing on Amazon that it's a five-gallon bucket carrier that you put on your back. It has padded shoulder straps and a waist belt. Is it a yoke? Total game changer. Is it a yoke, one of those shoulder things? No? No, no. It's like an actual backpack, but it has a five-gallon bucket holder. And it was such a game changer because I can carry way more on my back. Because I had um, like these five-and-a-half or six-gallon buckets um, and the upshot to that was I'm so short that when I would carry them, I had to keep my arms slightly bent the entire time. Otherwise they'd drag on the ground. And so the five gallon buckets I could do, but the slightly taller ones, they kept dragging on the ground. It was so frustrating. So I had to keep my arm curled slightly the entire walk in. It was very frustrating. So, um, so a couple of glasses of wine and Amazon one night early on in baiting season i'm like bingo i need that pack sold (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's the the things we do for an animal to begin with walking that far (laughs) oh boy yeah three three times every other day like yeah it was it was a full-time job but oh man i i did it and i did it myself and it was well Dwight, my seven-year-old at the time, uh, he came and, and supervised quite a few times. But, uh, yeah, that was the extent of it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So okay. you've, you've mentioned writing and blogging. So at this point, let's let's shift over. Do you want to mention a little bit about, about what you do now? Absolutely. So, um, so I've been writing since college. And... Uh, shortly after college, uh, I started a wedding photography and videography company, which I've been doing now for 23 years. Um, and thanks to COVID that took about a one year hiatus. Uh, so I had the time to start writing full time again. Um, I'd been freelancing from time to time when I, when I had an opportunity, but, um, during 2020, uh, when I was essentially legislatively unemployed because no one could get married. Uh, I was able to just focus on my writing and hit pause on my main business. And so I started freelancing for a bunch of other publications. I was an editor for a short period of time of another one. And then uh, I was able to launch my own publication in July of this year. And so uh, it's Lady Shooter Journal, um, LSJ. And the concept is it is a, it's a community, it's a resource for women and men uh, who are interested in learning more about um, different products, gear, experiences um, that can be tailored to the the female hunter and shooter, but overall just people who are interested in iconic, wonderful 
experiences uh, across the hunting and shooting world. And so there are things like gun reviews. Um, I've got some stuff, uh, a review I just posted from Best of the West Arizona uh, on a 6.5 PRC. Um, there's some things from Gunworks. There's gear reviews. Uh, I've got some Kuyu stuff that's going to be hitting soon. Um, so in addition to that, um, I also do a lot of writing work for companies within the hunting, shooting, conservation sphere. And that last component is is become even more important to me the last couple of years um, when we weren't able to travel and we weren't able to go and do some of the things that perhaps we had been able to do freely and without thought before. Uh, the conservation aspect really started to hit home. Um, so I recently started doing some work for a foundation called um, the Zambezi uh, Delta Conservation Foundation. And so the, the driving force behind that is um, creating awareness behind the anti-poaching efforts and the conservation initiatives over in Mozambique in the Zambezi Delta area. So uh, like the, the Cabela Foundation, they have done the 24 Lions project. So that is closely intertwined with this area and some of these initiatives. So I've been doing content writing for them, helping them create and refine, um, you know, mission statement, vision statement, content for website, things like that. So yep. uh, really anything in the hunting, shooting, conservation sphere, uh, sphere that's that's what I'm doing right now. So. Yep. And if you follow them every now and then, I think it's still on Facebook. I see it through a couple of different places. The uh, they they bust some poachers and usually it's snares and traps and they lay out mm -hmm. all that scrap metal traps out there and it's there's a pile of metal when they're done like those poachers there don't is. go easy they're they're there to stay and they're there with a pile of traps and uh, they are snare wires by the hundred yards worth of snare wires and stuff like that yeah. but yeah it's uh it is something to see over there and I I like to follow the Blood Origins guys for the same thing. Um, it seems like Africa is a battlefront for anti-hunting right now and all yes. the facts are in our corner and it's it's just this gigantic wave of emotion that you're fighting against from people who have no clue really um, what those poachers do but they lump the guy in there that wants to shoot a zebra with the guy with 200 yards worth of snare wire <laughs> and somehow and somehow they try to make that thing stick that we're the same people you know yeah. Um, I would hate to go all the way to Africa to shoot a horse, but no, I would, I would, I would do it. I would if I had the money, but uh... <laughs> you know, they, they are absolutely delicious. Zebra is, I would have to say my favorite game meat. Um, I, I don't it doubt it. It is magnificent. The French, mm. the French love anything with that body shape. Usually it's in a British cavalry mode, but when they, <laughs> no, there's, everywhere but the u.s and britain doesn't mind horse meat and it's in that family for a reason they are quality food oh they're so good and they are very tough to hunt they they are such challenging critters to hunt so uh i would i'm hoping to get back to africa sometime in the next 18 months and so zebra is on the list again okay uh cape Cape Buffalo and also ostrich, uh, as odd as that sounds, I really, really want to hunt ostrich. So, uh, but Cape Buffalo is the big one, but that's ostrich. the one I want to chase. 
Ostrich. Yes. I wonder. Ostrich. It's going to be dark meat on the legs and the white meat on the breast, right? I mean, it's a Honestly, running bird. Honestly, no idea. I, I'm I'm just thinking omelet. Like I I really like I I just <laughs> I'm thinking an omelet. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm thinking more like one of those ostrich breasts would be like ostrich piccata for forty. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yes but i mean what a, what a cool mount i it i've would. seen some really unique ostrich mounts and i love i absolutely love taxidermy because it it brings back the memories of the moments and the memory of the hunt and every time i look at the pieces of taxidermy in my home i i think oh i re i remember i know exactly what i was feeling at this particular moment and I remember what I was thinking and what I was feeling and, you know, what I could smell or, you know, the, the heat or the wind or the sun, you know, it just, it brings back those moments in mm -hmm. such a, just a crystal clear sense. So, yeah. Yep. Same, same kind of like when I see that package in there and I recognize the date, like, Oh, <laughs> I know where yes. I was. I know what bird that was. I know if it was, if it was shot clean and fell in the decoys or if it was a, a grouse that had to get ran down by Drummond here, you know, the, yeah, you look at that date and you're like, I know you. Yes. Yep. Yes. And, There's that recognition, isn't there? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> exactly it. So the ones, the ones in the freezer now, there's one Eli's buck deer um, and Joe's, and Joe's little doe. I'm like, Oh, oh. I shot the I shot it was a really sparse year around here, so I shot the biggest fawn in the group. Um and it was all that was left. I'm surrounded by hillbillies here that eat venison. And by the time I was able to get deer in front of me, it was the biggest of the small ones. And uh Well, I had it ate really good. I you know, as much as I do like and don't like that phrase at the same time, I'm like, yes, it ate fabulously well but uh, <laughs> I'm like oh there's there's got there's more to hunting I think than it's going to eat well um but then again there, there, there are, is yeah there are days when I pull the trigger that the first thing through my mind is that really is going to eat well um <laughs> yes so well it's, it's it's true and sometimes it's painfully true um <laughs> it is and every year is different I did not have time or opportunity to get out this year to hunt at all until late doe season, the the private uh, antlerless yep. late in the year. And I had one night. That's all I had. And I was able to get a mature doe and she had, um, she was dragging a leg and I was sitting with the landowner and he said, take her. She was mature, but she was injured, whether she got hit by a car or whatever. Yep. I, I don't know. Um, anyway, took her and it, it was the first year, like I've always, between Colton and I, we've always put five to six deer in the freezer a year. And this year I had no meat. I had to go buy a freezer because I didn't have one. And uh, I had one night to put a deer <laughs> I, in it. <laughs> I had to rely on the kindness of like, friends. Like, all right, let's get her done. <laughs> yep. Yep. I had, right. I had yes. two, two friends that when I mentioned I needed venison said, Oh, we're going to be culling does. Don't worry. Fair enough. Yeah. And sure enough, you know, the, the text came through, the phone rang, and I got in the truck, and I went over there like the great mighty white hunter I am and picked up my venison <laughs> from someone else. So 
Hey, there is no shame in that. No, no, I. There, there are none. They, they called in. The, you know, the the one, the one gentleman called in advance. He's like, hey, if I, if I need to call more, do you want to be on the list? I'm like, you put me on that list twice. I got, I got miles to feed, and. Uh, right. Yeah. And, and your boys are getting older. They're probably hitting that teenage boy stride uh, of eating all the time. They, uh, they don't even ask before snack time. They just decide. And go oh, look yeah. for snacks. It's constant. It's it's like the Mongol horde just goes around the house looking for something to raid and pillage. You're like, what? <laughs> I, I would like to have known that that was gone so that we could put it on the list and get more. Oh, mm. at, at least tell me you got all of it. <laughs> well, put a put a little whiteboard or something on the fridge. Like when something's gone, one. just write it down. We we have. One. Oh, they don't they don't write it down. They sometimes they just put it back empty. <laughs> oh that's magic that's awesome it is <laughs> i was accused the other day of doing the same thing there were four empty ice cube trays in the freezer and there was only one of us in the family drinking or old fashions ah do you have the the big cubes or the yes. regular cubes um you have the big cubes the, the standard cubes okay yep i have the the big the like big the, singles the big singles yeah yeah I love those. Those are awesome. Really? Mm-hmm. Yes. So we've... Yeah, we've, they, they make a big difference. We've rabbit trailed again. We have. You said you liked rabbit trails. I'm, now I'm we're not, talking about ice cubes. I'm not stopping this. <laughs> All right. Next so. next topic, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so we've went over... You've been writing, you said, 20 years as a as a gunning coach. So... Tips for the lady gunner. Just a Tips handful. For the lady gunner. A handful of basic things that, if you were to look at, at just how do I improve? What are the simple things I can do first? So simple things they can do first is a. This sounds so rudimentary. Find a place that you feel totally at ease to shoot. That sounds so basic, but that will impact how you shoot and how you progress. If you go somewhere and you are anxious, you're not comfortable, you feel uneasy, you're not going to shoot well. You're not going to improve. Can I? And so so find a club, find a facility that you enjoy shooting at, can that I, you feel comfortable. Can I throw in the devil's advocate thing of Yeah. if we're not that good at something yet, and I always say yet in there because the boys are like, I'm not very good at this. That's because you just started. Of course you suck. So what? Please tell me you tell them that. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> because they have this unrealistic expectation. I'm going to be good at it because dad is. Dad's poured thousands right, of dollars into this habit. I, yes, I'm good at it. 20 years of practice later. Come on, man. How... We would all wonder if you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of people out there like not like me. But no, the <laughs> the, the confidence is really important, but. I, I would like the new shooter, it doesn't matter, male or female even, please be just bold and confident anyway. You're gonna, you are yes. gonna, may be going to a club where you don't know anyone, trying a hobby, you're not very good at it yet. With people you don't know yet. With Correct. something you don't know you're going to love yet. All that uncertainty, and then we're asking you to please go in there and be confident. Yep, we are. 
no. do those things. And and even though you don't have any good reason to be confident at all, act, walk in there like you're a 20-year member of that club or go in there with your friends so that there's two of you pretending to be confident and do it. You there's please don't think that you have to be confident in something you're not good at yet. Yet. No, and, and my whole uh, point was Yeah. Comfortable. You don't have to be confident, but be comfortable. So well, but, find find a good spot. But you're you're not gonna be comfortable. It's new. You're uneasy. You're at- you, you don't know what you you don't know where the bathroom is. You don't know if you parked in the right spot. You don't know when their hours are really going to be until you find out. You, all this, like, there's no reason to be comfortable, but do it anyway. No, it, it's a whole desert of uncomfortable. <laughs> it is. The first trip. The second trip, a lot of that goes away. It does. And I see that with my students. Um, I, I pick up a handful of students every year and... The first time, you're right. The first time they show up to the club that I shoot, they're uncomfortable. They don't know where to park. They don't know where the bathroom is. The way you prefaced your original question, it sounded as like sounded as though you were dealing with an established shooter looking for tips and tricks to improve. Well, so I misunderstood the question. It, it was a very bland, generic question. Gotcha. Bland Which, and generic. There's nothing bland and generic about you, Joe. Only my questions. <laughs> All right. I've, I've learned that bland and generic allows the other person to do the direction they would like. Um, and then sometimes I get in the way. But I, I get, I'm, see, I'm still improving. You are. You're still improving. And that's so important. It is. So and, important. And so we're, yeah, that's, that's why we have a new season of Bird Camp Podcast. Because I haven't perfected it You know, it yet. I love it. I love the new branding. It's good. <laughs> it's, it's very good. I think it's just an outlet for me to talk. You don't really need that, do you? Can you imagine (laughs) if you were married to me and you had to listen to the bird camp stuff, except that there were no guests. It was just you every, you know, I, I think this was Shannon's idea. Was this Shannon's idea? No, actually this was the previous host's idea. Um, which is kind of funny because I don't know how in the world, I know how they figured it out. I, I talk a lot. It, right. It seems like it made sense. And it seems like it no, has, actually. So, yeah. It's... So, before we... We jump rails more than most other guests here. So, anyway. Well, that's all right. We, we uh, go back a ways. Come on. <laughs> right, right. And, and all the inside jokes, I, we almost do have to explain some of it a little bit. But... Uh, <laughs> Generally speaking, when we're together in person, there are people there to isolate us at a certain point in every topic. Like, you're not going to convince her. You're not going to convince him. We need to argue about something else for 10 minutes. And we're like, yes. Oh, okay. Pour the wine. And yes. Okay. <laughs> and so we go from me saying to you that the 28 gauge is a solution looking for a problem to. <laughs> <laughs> why why the Creedmoor is another solution looking for a problem and uh i'm uh, yes and and you're the exact opposite like no these are awesome and then we we argue some more and get separated again have some food argue some more separated it's it's a thing but uh 
It is. It, it's a it's a cycle. It really is. So so the tips <laughs> for the lady gunner, beyond beyond, please go continue to try, find a place where you become comfortable, and and continue to try. Did I say that twice? I did say that twice now on purpose. Continue to yes. try. That's three. Um, mm-hmm. Because unfortunately, you're going to find some mansplaining in there that might turn you off. You're going <laughs> to. You may also find the coolest old timer at, and I'm thinking of a couple in mind at my old home club at South Kent, that you couldn't ask for a better guy to to show you how, and mm-hmm. willing, kind, knowledgeable. And very, very truthful and open with, here's how I broke my first hundred straight, and here's how you could in the next two months. And there's Mm -hmm. no way around somebody's knowledge when he's got 50 years in that club. And he's been shooting five boxes a week for 50 years. Um, But you have to find that guy, and that means you have to go there. Correct. And I actually, I, I have something I want to add to yeah. that. You, you brought up something that is, it's a hot button when you talk to a lot of women. And we talked earlier about, <laughs> we talked earlier about, you know, when I have found that overall, when I, when I teach women, um, when they're starting, they, they check their egos at the door. There is, there, there's kind of this, this curve that I have found that some women, uh, and myself included, I, I went through this phase. Um, when you spend enough time at a gun range or you spend enough time at a hunting camp, um, you you get what you called mansplained <laughs> a lot. And it, there are some women who develop a very distinct chip. I was one of them. I have done that. I, I get that. Um, I used to walk into a gun department, you know, looking at guns and I couldn't get helped or I would have somebody look around and say, oh, where's your husband? And that that gets frustrating. But you also find what you're looking for. And so the one of the biggest things that I have come away with from now a quarter century at the range and five years in the hunting world is Yes, you're going to have you're going to have the the mansplaining, um, but I cannot tell you the the blessing of the men that I have experienced uh, from a knowledge standpoint out on the range in the field who selflessly stand there and say, "I I've been here, I have this." Try it. Let me help you. Let me show you. I, I want to help you grow. Mm-hmm. And you don't necessarily have the tools standing there at 70 years old or 75 years old to to approach you in the way that you might feel comfortable in 2023. But yes, we are in 2023. Just checking on that. Yeah. Um, but if you can, if you can check your ego and you can check the social construct that you shroud yourself in and be open to those, I call them divine appointments. And I can't tell you how many of those I've had on the range and in the field. You have to be open to them. And the blessing that comes from those is absolutely beyond measure. And so ladies, if I could give you one, one piece of insight from over 25 years at the range and a lot of, 
a lot of hunting camps in a short period of time is be open. Don't, don't go in with the ego that you claim you despise from other people. Go in open and really embrace what people have to offer and sift it through. You're going to find good things from everybody. You may find what not to do, but you're still going to find something. You're going to find a kernel from virtually every interaction, but, but be open and don't go in with a bad attitude that you're going to get mansplained or that everybody hates you or nobody wants you there. Cause honestly, 99% of the time that's coming from you. That's your construct. Mm-hmm. It's not the prevailing feeling. And truthfully, a lot of guys, especially the older ones, they don't know what to do with a woman out there proficiently handling her own firearm, dealing with her own game, cleaning her own ducks, field yep. dressing her own deer. They don't know what to do with that. It's not a generation that they are comfortable with. And they can awkwardly you know, clap you on the shoulder and say, wow, add a girl. Or they can get down there and say, hey, let me do that for you because that's the generation that they were raised with. And they're not saying you can't do it. They are saying, this is what I know and this is what I'm comfortable with and please let me help you because I don't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. And so so don't have an attitude is my biggest point. Yeah, and there's there the, the old man perspective, which I get accused of being older than my age anyway. <laughs> it's the tie and the sweater vest. Come on. I think it's also the attitude in a way, but <laughs> say, say you're that 60 to 70-year-old skeet shooter who's been shooting for 50 years. 40, 50 years, you've watched this club decline from 100 Sunday shooters to 30. Mm-hmm. You've watched everything you love. So at a certain point, he's going to do everything he can to help. And he's mm-hmm. going to do it awkwardly. And he's going to do it mm-hmm. with every bit of the best intentions. The only thing you can do is stop putting intent in him that's not there, right? Exactly. Yep. It, it'll be awkward. It'll be it'll be weird. You'll feel weird. He doesn't know what to do. The whole purpose of that entire thing is he's seeing this decline, and it's to him it's the same as the fall of Rome, right? It's just this nosedive into catastrophe, and then here you show up and you're new and you're excited, and so what's he gonna do? Well, I don't really know, but I'm not going to do nothing. You right. Know? And in I'm those... gonna do what I know how to do. Exactly. And at the same time, then. You know, the, the worst thing you can do is in that per, in that that perspective is throw intent that isn't there at this person, you know. Exactly. Um, and, and at the same time, like you said, the word sift, you're going to find some weirdos in there too. be able to sift between um, a handful of gentlemen that I'm thinking of already. Just there's some real gems out there. And every now and then you're going to find a real jerk. They don't even start with the same letter shift them apart <laughs> and figure out which ones are which, you know, and it's not going to take long, but at a certain point you're going to have to. Um, and then, yeah. And then there's 50 years of experience in that guy. Mm-hmm. Oh. And that's priceless. It is. You, I mean, it takes 50 years to get 50 years experience and he's willing to kind of pour it onto you without mm-hmm. taking 50 years. <laughs> there's, right, there's exactly. a lot there. Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully that, that helps rather than hurts, but, uh, any, it, it any does. further tip? It then? does. I, well, to, to clarify, um, when I said sift, I meant more good advice versus bad. 
Um, I, and I, I have and met. I think sift the source, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, but understand if you are, if you're in a space that you're not super comfortable in. Yes. Yeah. Honestly, in 25 years shooting, I can count on one hand the number of men that I've met at the range that I would say, yeah, that was kind of a creep. For the most part, they're not. No, no, they're they they're really, really aren't. Not. <laughs> no, they they may come off maybe a little bit creepy and uncomfortable at times, but they're not. the The intent isn't there. And when I said stiff, I meant more like, okay, is is this a technique that's going to work for me? If I have some guy who's telling me to utilize a stance that totally doesn't work for me, I'm going to stiff that out. I'm not going to use that. I I don't I don't need that. Or mm-hmm. oh, you got to have your hold points over here. Nah, that doesn't work for me either. So I'm going to sift that out. But hey, he gave me this other really good point about foot position. I'm going to use that. And so being, I love showing up at new clubs and taking in all the knowledge and information that I can get. I love going somewhere where I don't know anyone and no one knows me. I can walk in and I can get all the advice and it's fun. It's it's interesting. I always learn something. I always come away with something. And if you don't go in with an attitude or an, an ego, it is amazing the blessings that people heap upon you and the human interactions that you you have. Yeah. And I never want to lose that. Yep. Never, ever. And I think a lot of people, I think a lot of women, especially once they get to a certain point, a certain level of proficiency, there there comes that attitude and it's we end up as the losers honestly because what happens is you have those incredibly well-intentioned gentlemen and if they have one bad experience with a woman who just completely rolls over them and is mean and cruel and shuts them down then they don't want to help anymore and then what happens to that woman who comes along next who legitimately has a heart for this, but doesn't have the tools and doesn't have the knowledge, that man is not going to come forward Mm -hmm. and help. And so now we've lost a mentor. Now we have lost the, the ability to perpetuate our sport. It is so counterproductive. Yep. So you, you touched on a hot button of mine. (laughs) That, that is a big, a a big thing for me. So it's just being open. Yeah, and that's and that's the the hot buttons are the things I actually look for in the podcast because I need the ratings, <laughs> you know. I need I need people to get angry. I need, I need some emotion. I need some uh, some pep, you know. And then if you want a name call or anything, that's cool too. But no, nah, no, nah, we we don't do that here. Oh come now. We we don't. I, you know, I can't imagine <clears throat> that me telling women to be kinder, gentler, and more open, so that. That everybody wins. I can't imagine that that is going to be controversial. There's. <laughs> I I know that facial expression. <laughs> there's a handful of women out there that I know because well, uh, it, I I know a lot of people that probably are like you know what though, but I met the one jerk and there's that the con the conversation is okay. If I can't have a profitable one, I'm probably not going to have it. And at that point, you're like, "Yes, I understand. It's okay. Let's uh, let's let's talk about something else." And 
Let's talk about the weather. <laughs> I know, I know. And then they'll find a way that the, the weatherman mansplained the weather, and they're mad about that too. But uh, that's his job. Well, he's not that good at it either. <laughs> no, he's not. As, as somebody who likes to hunt ducks, you got to get the wind direction right. And right. And that's you just got to do better, man. Just do better. <laughs> Just too better. Yeah, yeah, wind direction's pretty critical there. Any other any other lady hunter tips and uh maybe apply this one more um in the bird field. Is there anything we can add to it that might be the 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 next basic step? Uh lady hunter tips, especially you know, focus in the bird field as mm -hmm. you're as you're talking. Um, gun fit is critical and that's something that you can beat to death on any social media forum. Um, I cannot emphasize it enough. It is so important. If you don't have good gun fit, you are not going to be able to adequately make that shot. So take the time and, and get it to where you need to be. Mm -hmm. Um, also take into account different weather conditions. I went pheasant hunting on Monday. It was seven below wind chill. I was dressed differently than when I'm shooting that same gun in a tank top in the summer. Um, so <laughs> I saw that picture and I thought, <laughs> no, no, I'm good. I wouldn't do it. <laughs> you know, I was perfectly comfortable until we got back to the truck and started watering the dogs again. And my hands froze. I splashed some water on my hands and my hand brushed the trailer hitch as I put the dog pull oh. down. And it almost stuck like whoa it's cold <laughs> so but it, it it was great um we we put up eight and came home with seven so i was really happy with with the day um and the dogs did awesome and they didn't overheat and they're in winter shape right now so round. they're a little chubby so yeah, they're, they're round <laughs> they're round they're they're a little round they they are in couch condition right now so we, we some, um. <laughs> some people call that show shape too. Show shape, yes, yes. I I call it. Um, yeah, it's 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 couch condition. So. Yep. yep. So yeah. So the 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 gun fit in the field, of course, that one that one always comes in. One of the other ones, and and you as an instructor, me as as just somebody who understands it. Practicing at home, with your gun mount. Um, yes. The and reason, your bird vest or pack. Yeah, and and. And even starting, I would say even start out without it first, but that's mm -hmm. only because it's the start. It's the lesson that my kids started with because Uncle Andy gets listened to more than Dad when it comes to coaching. Um, there's nothing quite the same as that well practiced gun mount that you can do at home while watching the news, while listening to the radio, while p listening to the Bird Camp podcast. You can be rotating your feet your foot placement all the things that go into the bird field can start at your home and this mm -hmm. like how like how we started the reason why i have to tell myself to stop it slow down let other people have a chance is that movement is so smooth and fluid now that the birds don't fly very far and it doesn't feel right. in a hurry and so you don't miss much if you practice right. those things, slow is home, smooth, smooth is fast. Yes, and it and it applies to whether you're drawing a pistol, whether you're bringing that shotgun to your shoulder, it all it's all there. Just that nice smooth muscle memory. Um, but then, of course, I just took your next point really with that one, didn't I? 
<laughs> no, um, I, I actually have something to add to that. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that was really, really critical on Monday was as cold as it was, um, I, I was wearing gloves, which I hardly ever shoot in gloves, but you know, bird season, depending on how cold it is, I'll, I'll yeah. wear gloves. Well, in addition to gloves, it was so cold. I had lost feeling in most of my, my fingers. So like my, my thumb stop laughing. It was fun. And I had pheasant pot pie last night. So it was really good. <laughs> um, but, uh, another thing that, that is so critical is um, when when you are practicing with your your dry mounts at home, um, I like to practice uh, utilizing my safety mm-hmm. in whatever gloves I'm going to be using um, because that is a whole new um, that's a whole new muscle memory concept, especially if your hands are cold. So, yeah. like I have done um, last year, I did some practice with I would hold on to ice cubes. And then throw my hands in my gloves and then try to get my safety to work. Well, the pad of your thumb works different if your fingers are borderline numb. So you have to use, or I had to use, more force on the joint itself instead of the pad of my thumb, which I typically do during, you know, grouse season when it's October and it's beautiful and tracing through the woods in 50-degree weather. It's a completely different situation. So You, you really yeah. put ice cubes in your gloves? Yeah, absolutely. Why wouldn't you? Well, normally what happens is I know where the safety is on my gun. And I know that the the pad of my thumb is starting to get numb. And I just naturally shift over to where I can feel the safety again, which is on the side of my thumb joint. And then when that goes numb, I open my gun up and I put my hand in my pocket and I let somebody else with numb hands shoot. <laughs> or or I mean, at a certain point there's at a certain point there's just no and, and this is weird coming from a guy who loves to hunt <laughs> louis lamore said something about the dead of winter nights and it was the time when the the men in the village would sit in the lodges around the fire and tell stories of hunting okay when it gets that cold it's story time we're we're staying inside. We're next to the hot chocolate. <laughs> We've got the pot pie going. There's venison in the oven or on the frying pan. And we're telling stories. And when it gets nice enough again, we'll go back out. But right now, we're going to huddle around the fire in the lodge. And, you know, and I I don't take that as one of those things where I want to cop out on something that's fun. At the same time, I'm like, you know, there's a time and a place when step back from what you want to do do other important things like right now it's work overtime and try to rebuild the hunting budget before October. Right. I, <laughs> that's what, that's what this time of year is for. That's kind of make some money because we hemorrhage funds <laughs> through the fall and you're out there in, in seven degree below windchill like that. This is going to be awesome. And I'm thinking, man, hot chocolate sounds good. <laughs> well, you, you've got to remember I was a competitive figure skater and I skated outdoors for most of my skating career. I did not know this. Yeah. Yep. And so I would get up, I would go and skate for a couple hours before school when I was still in public school. And then I would skate for a few hours after school every night. And Mm. so I had to, 
my my body had to get accustomed to functioning in really cold weather because it was it was obviously constantly cold and when you're practicing new jumps and things you're on the ice a lot and so you would be wet you would be cold you'd be bruised and you had to learn to function in really cold weather so i am of the firm belief that you have to train how you intend to perform and so if if i expect my system to perform functionally in certain conditions i have to practice that way Hmm. and so that's you know if if i'm going to be hunting um whether it's whether i'm shooting i've learned this with with rifle and with trigger control freeze my hands get them really really cold and then figure out where my sensitivity is in my fingers where do i need to hold how do i need to change my grip where are the hot spots in my fingers because where I typically squeeze is different um, based on where my circulation is. So if my fingers are really, really cold, I have to change where my trigger contact is. Mm. And so things like that, I can extrapolate to when I'm deer hunting. If my fingers are really cold, if I've been stalking all day or if I've been sitting in a blind, I know exactly where I need to contact the trigger and where on that palm swell I need to hold so that I can be effective. And so it's, it's things like that, that they, I don't know, you like intellectual exercises. It's, it's an intellectual exercise you can take into the field. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Yeah. I also (laughs) intellectually know that if I'm in a blind, it's 55 in there. I have a propane tank and I'm eating sandwiches because, (laughs) because I've, I've sat in the blinds with no heater. And I've been that cold guy who wonders what part of his fingers are still not quite numb enough so that he can feel the trigger. And then I realized that, oh, wait, no, no, no. They sell one pound and five pound cylinders. I can buy heaters and I can bring, I can bring sandwiches and thermoses of coffee. There you go. And now I'm not miserable, which makes me love hunting more besides for the mind numbing boredom of sitting in a blind, um, which is also why the yes. sandwiches and the heater well so i i went stand hunting once this year for my my one deer hunting Mm -hmm. sit but the last few years when i've deer hunted i have done spot and stalk hunting just taking my bow or taking my rifle and gone out and just walked and tracked and i like to talk and i have a very limited attention span when it comes to sitting still so Stand hunting is a miserable experience for me. I can't stand it. That's why I love deer hunting or love bird hunting. Um, so once I discovered spot and stock hunting, I'm like, oh, this is perfect. I can take my bow. I can go crawl through the swamp. I can get close to things in a way that I never would have experienced otherwise. This is fabulous. But I didn't have time to do it this year. So mm-hmm. um I, I love I love that hunting style. <laughs> it's easier for you. When you're six foot tall and two, two oh five something in there all bundled up, you're a lot easier to see. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so the other nice thing is, is this one chunk of land that I hunt, um, it, it's swamp, but once it gets cold enough, it freezes. And so I stay on top. Yeah. I can walk through the whole thing right. and other people don't, they are way steep in water. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The number of inches of ice it takes for me to stay dry is not the same either. No. Um, 
if anyone hasn't noticed by now the conversation, uh, Andrea's the smallest hunter I know outside of the youth hunt realm. Um, that's just how it goes. Um, <laughs> you <laughs> trying to transition here. Let's, let's shift into, you mentioned a little bit that you have a photography business and some of the, some of my coolest photos are yours, mainly because you tagged mm -hmm. along and I had your son to shoot birds and I'm running a dog then and I get amazing pictures for free, which doesn't happen very often to other people. Um, I'm, I'm not, maybe it's a jinx where I get cool photos, but uh, we... <laughs> We'll do it again. Don't worry. Absolutely. Um, this last time we, we didn't have any photos, but I, there's a story off air. I got to tell you about that one because it was hilarious. Um, <laughs> sorry for the rest of you folks. I'm not going to embarrass a young man um, beyond that. I'm going to mention that there's an embarrassing moment. But uh, I we mentioned before before I hit record, if we're going to have a photo used against us, at least let's make it a good one. You've, you've been a photographer for now over two decades. What goes into the composition of a good photo? What, what kind of basic rules should I have in mind when I take a picture for hunting? Absolutely. Um, so the biggest thing I think people need to keep in mind is focus on what you want people to see. So many people, when they take a photo, they, they want to focus on this, this big tapestry of stuff. You know, they've got the background and the foreground, and then they've got this person with an animal, whether it's a bird or a deer or a turkey or whatever. But what do you really want to communicate to people in a picture? And if that, if that is, okay, I want to show this is my son with his first pheasant. That's what I want to focus on. And I want to do whatever I can to minimize distractions that pull away from that. And so figure out, number one, what do I want to tell people with this picture? What do I want to show them? And then you figure out, okay, how do I clean it up so that that's what people see? I want people to see what I'm seeing. I want, to, I want people to see what I want to show them. And so if you have a nasty background, maybe shoot up. So you've got sky in the background. So it's cleaner. If you don't have like a really busy background, people are going to see and be able to focus more on what you want them to see. Hmm. Um, another thing that I, I think people really struggle with is, is lighting. So with, with trophy photos, we'll call them trophy photos for lack of a better word. Um, and you see this a ton in Africa. So if you have somebody sitting there, they've got this impala or this bushbuck or whatever, and the, um, the PH, professional hunter, has the sun pointing right at the person's face and the front of the animal. Well, most people hunt in a baseball cap. So that does two things. Number one, you have a huge shadow on the first half or third of the person's face. Okay, well, we're not seeing what we want to see. We're not seeing the eyes. We're not seeing the smile. We're not seeing the story. We're not coming away with what we want to come away with. Um, also, if the person's not wearing a hat, uh, you have them squinting. 
So now you've got this person whose eyes are most likely shut looking at the camera. That doesn't work. What I love to do, and this flies in the face of a lot of what most people know about photography, I like to do what's called backlight. So I'll actually put the sun behind the person and the animal, okay? And with most phones now, um, and I'm on an, uh, an Apple platform, um, but you can do it with Android as well. If you take and you open up your photo window um, and you tap on the face or whatever it is you want to focus on, it will show you a little slider bar. All you have to do is bring up the light, basically the fill light. So you're filling in the shadows. So it brightens up that face, brightens up the front of the animal. So now you've got an evenly lit face. You've got an evenly lit animal and the sun is behind them. So they're not squinting at you. Hmm. So there are a lot of things that you can do to make your photos so much better. Um, I used to travel if I'm, if I'm not working, I don't bring my 20 or $30,000 worth of camera gear. I bring my iPhone and I get absolutely awesome photos. I can't tell you how many images that I've had featured in magazines and, um, articles that were just from my phone because that's what I had with me. And that was what I was using. And if you know how to use your phone and you know some basic rules of how to get effective images, you can do pretty much anything that you need in the field. Does that help? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it does, because some examples of that are one of, our, one of the other guests here, Ryan Reddick, had a picture that we used for the promotional, and the, the background in his case, they'd on purpose focused in on a quail that he had in his hand, and he had outstretched his hand to the camera, and so what he wanted you to see in that picture was the colors of the quail and the detail of the feathers. And since he's just a middle-aged guy, if you blurred out the rest of the hunter anyway, what he was really asking, sorry, Ryan, what he was asking <laughs> you really, though, was to focus in on this beautiful bird. And, right. and the way the photo was composed, because it blurred out the hunter in the background, all you really had was your, your focus had to go to what was clear, and it went right to that bird. And so if I take the things in the background and whether it's, it's, even if it's in focus, if it's something that really doesn't take away my focus from whether it's a pheasant or the, the feathers on a grouse or something like that, you know, or, or a dog on point, right? Get the right angle, right. try to get the right light. Don't cut heads and tails off. That's that's right. that's kind of an easy one, really. Of try to get the whole thing in the picture. You can always shrink <laughs> it in editor. Um, you can never expand a photo that you took that's too small. No, and and cutting tails off that that's a big that's I, a big one. Oh cutting heads off. Sometimes you want to cut a head off, but most of the time, if you want to cut a head off, you can crop it out. Mm -hmm. But yeah, don't don't cut the tail out. Um, and also, if we have any fishermen listening you know how to photograph fish like if you want something to look bigger you hold it closer to the camera in relation to where you are yeah. you can do that with animals too and it's not necessarily just a size thing it's an emphasis thing going back to your conversation about the quail yeah um like if you have a beautiful pheasant with gorgeous plumage you know you want to showcase that i want to hold that out i want to focus on that 
I'm secondary to that. I want to focus on the colors and the beauty and the magic that went into that particular moment. So mm -hmm. that's what I want whoever's taking the picture to focus on. Yep. We, we do this with the youth hunts, this last one. The kids were successful, and part of it was they'd never held a dead bird to begin with. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sitting there, and I have one of their hens. I, of course, I, I give the roosters to the kids, and I'm holding a hen there, and, and here's how you grab onto the, the breast of the bird and so that those wings aren't tucked under your fingers. They're overlaid outside so that you get the, the, full, the whole wing covering kind of down across your hand. You don't want your hand in the picture the way you want the bird in the picture, and the tail needs to be right. straight. And it's showcase the just showcase the bird really. You don't want it so that the the cheek patch and stuff on that rooster, or the way the the ruff has that crest that comes up. If you can get that body turned in a way so that you really showcase all the little highlights of that bird, all it takes is just. 30 seconds of thinking about it the first time. And then after that, it starts to kind of click. Mm -hmm. And and yes, that's an intellectual exercise that I just asked people to do. Think for, <laughs> think for 30 seconds. I'm not asking a lot. 30 seconds of the center of your hunt. I know you want to get back to hunting, but before it hits your vest, hold it in a way that just demonstrates the beauty that you see and put it into a camera. But you oh, have I to, love that. Well, the thinking part no 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 oh, just the yeah. the demonstrating the beauty that you see that's beautiful i love yeah, that yeah that 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 should be that's what very our pictures eloquent. do right the, yes yes um, i would think so but i've been <laughs> it, you can't win them all joe you really can't i know but i <laughs> i challenge all comers mm-hmm I'll I'll do battle on that one mainly because I think our pictures do as much damage as good sometimes if we don't put thirty seconds of thought into a picture. It just that is so true. And and it can be a very powerful image too, right? The 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 Zambezi Delta project and their traps is kind of a record keeping. But when you start to think about it, some of those pictures are taken just a certain way, and there's more into those. You know, the same with the. We can call them trophy picks. There's no better word really than trophy um, mm -hmm. because when we take that animal and we, we put it on the freezer because I can joke about the labels on the package or we can put the the horns on the wall. We can put the hide on the wall, right, like your zebra because I know you have one. Mm -hmm. all, the, all those things are trophies, right? The, the memory is a trophy. The, the food is it a is. trophy. And, and I kind of get sick of people thinking it's a bad term. Absolutely, I'm a trophy hunter, and when I shoot a cottontail with a 20 gauge, the sound of the hounds is a trophy. Yes, I'm, mm -hmm. a, I'm absolutely a trophy hunter, and if people take 30 seconds to think about it, they all are. Absolutely, if they're honest with themselves, and, which and that's a big ask. That's a huge ask, and believing a lie that you told yourself is one of the dumbest things a human can do, and we do it all the time. I'm not a trophy hunter. I eat the meat. Well, congratulations. Welcome to the trophy hunting club. Why? <laughs> that's, that's, you hunted it on purpose for a certain product, didn't you? Well, yeah, the, well, the mm -hmm. product's food. Yeah, it's a product. You, you shot it for the product. You're right there with me, trophy hunter. Mm -hmm. Woodcock with a cherry bourbon glaze. I'm a trophy hunter. Oh, that sounds so good. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh, 
Wow. Huh, I might have to try that. That sounds really yummy. Cherry bourbon. I love cherries. I love bourbon. I'm going to have to bring you some of my Luxardo cherries. They're so good. We could put some of those in with the bourbon, glaze the woodcock, and you want a smoky grill. You want a little smoke, and you want charcoal. Okay. It, it It's not the same with gas, and it's really not the same in a frying pan. Okay. I have to try that. Yeah. Just letting you know, though, my Luxardo cherries are very high octane. They're not something the kids can put on ice cream. So... I've, We'll, we'll work around that. <laughs> <laughs> They're really good. <laughs> oh, I, I bet they are. Um, so I, I think that that's a lot of tips in there, too. I mean, for, for photos we've done, we're going we're gonna to wrap this up. And this is one now. I, you've had like an hour and a half's worth of warning, two hours worth of warning. Yes, and I have an answer. <laughs> you, you got one now. Good. Okay, I do. So, I have so one. So my, my last and final famous question, what historic gun would you want to take out for a day, and where would you take it? So I would take an M1 Garand um, in which, .30-06. Which one? Which one? Which the, one the Korean historic gun? That, that is the one historic gun. That's a type. Which one? Which one? Well, a thirty at six M1 Garand. There's that's a, there's a lot of them available, that, but that's right. But which one? What? Which one? That would be it. Uh, all right, I'll let it slide. Like belonging to someone specific. Which? Oh, well, see, you didn't his... clarify that one. Oh. <laughs> I thought you meant gun type. That's a that's a very historic no. gun no oh, well yes and, and i want one too but have you ever shot one they are so fun they are they're and they're loud oh they're, well 30 they six is loud too but then bang 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 ping you're like ooh. then you're like mm -hmm. Hold on. someone knows i'm out of ammo this may be not be so good after all <laughs> i i would love to deer hunt with an m1 garand I think yeah. that would be uh -huh. that would be an awesome experience. And the, the reason I picked it is because I did a review last year on the Gunworks Magnus muzzleloader. And they they guarantee sub MOA to 500 yards, which I was skeptical. It's very skeptical. I took it out to 700 and they are completely legit in their um, their predictions there. And their guarantees. Uh, and I had an opportunity last year to shoot an M1 Garand. And that was a muzzleloader, you, you said, though, to 500 yards. Yes. Yep. And that was in 45 cal. Um, and it, it was fantastic. I'll, I'll email you the review. It was such a fun gun to play with. Um, but there, there's just something about w when you pick up certain guns, you feel certain things. And I took the, the Gunworks muzzleloader out um, on late, um, uh, it was the, the muzzleloader season here in, mm -hmm. in Michigan. It is not designed to be a spot and stock gun at all, just based on weight, size, and all that. And so I was kind of questioning my life choices at that particular moment. Um, but there was just something so iconic about taking that gun out in the snow, in the woods, and and meat hunting. And 
I had that same feeling when I picked up the M1 Grand and I, I put probably 30 rounds through it. And it was just such a, you, you felt like you were cradling history when, when you held it. And I would absolutely love to go out and, and harvest a deer with, yeah. with that gun. I yeah. think that there's, there's nothing that, that would make me feel more connected as a hunter at this particular stage in my hunting journey than being able to do that. So I really appreciate you asking the question because it made me think like what, what would really, I get to play with some really fun firearms, totally running the gamut, but what would really bring me the most joy and peace as a hunter and as a shooter and as a lover of guns. And that's, that's the gun. Yep. So. I always had a, thing for if it was a type of gun i almost wanted to someday and and the muzzleloaders and i don't get along so it it will not probably happen without somebody helping me um due to a due to a safety issue where one of the rules is i just don't touch black powder um and uh that's a funny off-air story um one of the 58 springfields the civil war musket i would like to shoot Mm -hmm. a deer with a mini ball that would be really interesting. Wouldn't it? I mean, That would be. I, I Is that need, even legal? It's a muzzleloader. It's a lead ball. And it's a deer. Michigan is very generous on how I can shoot deer with large lead balls. Um, <laughs> well, I'll let you worry about that one off air. <laughs> I, the, just for, for history purposes, I would just like to shoot the gun. Um, a, a deer that when... If like they weren't available for me, they just didn't walk in front of me this year. But it would be fun, and I I think with a historic gun like that, it would. If it was a type of gun, though, I have no no knowledge of exactly which gun in particular I would use. Um, okay. So at this point, if it was just simply a type, that would be cool. But the same could be said for an old Winchester ninety four and thirty two Winchester Special would be really cool to shoot a deer too. Uh, there's, there's, there's a plethora of shotguns out there. I'm not going to mention any because I want future guests to think about it and wonder and, you know, and, and there are some incredibly specific certain guns out there. Um, because if you subscribe to shooting sportsmen or some of the other guns where Julia's and, um, not so much Sotheby's, but Julia's and Rock Island always have their auction ads. You see the kind mm-hmm. of guns I'm asking about pop up there every now and then. <laughs> You're like, ooh. Well, I don't have a quarter million dollars, so that one's not mine either. But uh, Not on the list. No, no, but there's some, oh, there's some sweet stuff out there. But uh, that's, that's my last and final famous question. <clears throat> I love it. Absolutely love it. All right, good. I'm going to have you hang on the line then, and we're going to cut. I'd like to thank you again for listening. It's been a pleasure to talk with all these interesting people and to bring those conversations to you. If you would, please take the time to like and share or rate and review this podcast. It will help get the word out to others who may also enjoy uh, conversations kind of like these. You can find us on Facebook under Bird Camp. Follow there as well as on Instagram now at Bird Camp Pod, one word. If you want to support the podcast 
financially. We do that through Patreon just for a couple of bucks. I figure the cup of cup of coffee or the price of a beer a month is pretty cheap. I'm good for it. And uh, you take those funds and use those for either an expense here at the podcast or if there's any excess, it goes into something fundraising for conservation or kids in the outdoors or some such things as that. And uh, hopefully I will hear from you. I always appreciate feedback as well as I look forward to you listening to the next one here on the Bird Camp Podcast.